So good evening, everyone. I feel um, really happy to come and give a talk and see everyone. I've been sort of in my room, uh, not feeling well. Luckily, this amazing team, especially Tija, has brought me every possible thing under the sun. <laughs> I've taken it all, Chinese medicine, zinc, <laughs> electrolytes. You know, he just keeps showing up with more. Here's springtime, try these, you know. <laughs> like, I, okay, I just take all of it, you know. Um, it's been interesting in that way, too. And I thought tonight when at the dinner, um, Nick came to check on me, I was like, I'm going to, even if I have to crawl in there, I'm going. <laughs> I cannot end this retreat in here and not, you know, it just felt like, no, 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 no. That's not really who I am. So, so I might turn off the microphone if I have to cough and, or these epic sneezes really loud. I know I keep Vinny. I know Vinny's heard a few of them, huh? <laughs> kind of, yeah, next level sneeze. Um, but also it was really sweet. I was sitting today very quietly and my sister, um, my older sister and I are very close together. I, I recently moved back to Los Angeles, and she lives here in the Bay Area. And she's going to ministerial school and studying and sort of like a new thought minister. So new thought and positive thinking and all this different stuff. So she's been in training. And um, I was a little bit sad, and then she called me. And it was just so interesting how I started to feel better and better and better. And then I started thinking about all the people who are in hospitals, how when they have visitors and they feel better. And when you go and visit people in hospitals, if they have no one, they don't heal as quickly. You know, when you bring people things. And it just, it just really does like, wow, there is something to that. So I, I did some metaphor people who are alone in hospitals and, you know, in the holidays and around these times. Um, but that's not my situation. I had plenty of friends and company, you know, <laughs> uh, which is sweet, you know. So I appreciate that. And I wanted to just take a little time to think with you all a little bit about going home and transitions and and talk about two qualities. And also, thank you for your notes. There was this huge stack of notes, and I read them all. They were very cheerful and very sweet. I didn't get a chance to respond. There was quite a few notes. And so <laughs> some were these very beautiful questions, kind of like, what is the meaning of life? And then can you write back as soon as possible? And I was like, okay, what do I write right, really small? And then I thought about that, and I would honestly, to some of the questions, I would just say, open your heart. Trust yourself. A lot of the questions were really sweet, but they were really about us trusting ourselves. You know, and I'm, I'm a big one to teach that in any community. You know, I always tell people wherever I go, I'm not saying anything new. And sometimes when people get excited and they like, spring, it was you who did something. I always say, no, it's the Dharma. It was you who did something, <laughs> you know. It's, you know, so often I like to tell people, like, all I'm doing is reminding you. And sometimes when you, it hits a note of remembrance, it's easy to think the teacher did that, right? And that's good. You know, you can have a, a teacher who really hits those notes. It's sweet. 
But it's always you, actually. You open your heart. You've been doing this practice for all these days. It's your insight, too. You know, we're just all in this together. So I don't really have anything new to share. I just want to remind you. And so I've been thinking a lot about um, the last few months. I've sort of been in a very disorienting period because I relocated and I don't know why I relocated. (laughs) I kept following this intuition. And that's kind of how the spiritual life is. You keep getting thrown out of the nest over and over. When things get too comfortable, that's when we tend to go to sleep, right? It's like when things get into a routine, we go, oh, we turn off our mindfulness, right? It's too easy. We know all the answers. We, we know the way to work. We, you know, we know where all the stores are. We just start, everything's predictable. And we long for that predictability. I think I have longed for that. My Capricorn nature always wants to root down, build a nest, but it never happens. Like, it's like as soon as it gets there, it's like, goodbye. <laughs> And my nomadic side picks up again. And I think that that's really what it is all about, the spiritual path, is we kind of surrender to jumping out of the nest. And so I had this great nest in Oakland, only a few blocks from our meditation center, East Bay Meditation Center, which I was involved in founding and core teacher and leader there and had a big sangha and taught there all the time. And, and, um, you know, there was a Whole Foods, just two short blocks, <laughs> you know, the biggest one in all, like, California, you know, like, everything was so easy. My favorite coffee shop, my, all my friends right in the neighborhood, Lake Merritt, right outside the door, practically. And then this voice was like, move to Los Angeles. It's like, L.A., but I don't even like Los Angeles. I don't even like cities that much. I'm a nature And it kept coming over and over. And so finally I just listened and I did it. And, you know, I joined Inside LA and supporting them. And some of you are from Southern California. But it's been a very disorienting time, you know, in the last four months. I keep waking up and like, where where am I? This is really odd, right? I'm right, you know. And there's a part of my mind, I call it like the small self says, I'm lost. I, then And then my higher self goes, no, you're evolving and everything looks different. You don't recognize your surroundings when you're in evolution, right? Because we want the comfort of that routine. Like, where's the store? Where's my routine? And then when we get thrown out of that, it's disorienting. It's even probably like that coming on retreat here. If you're here for the first time, you're thrown out of your routine at home, right? And my God, the schedule and who's this person and what are we doing at three? And, you know, now you're kind of used to it, right? <laughs> Some of you might be like, oh, I never want to leave. Some of you are like, okay, yeah, I'm ready. It's time. But there could be a lot of mixed emotions tonight as, you know, the silence. We don't really like to say breaking silence, you know, but... We used to say that, time to break silence, and then everyone would report, I'm broken, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't, people are talking, it's breaking me. I'm, sen-, you know, so I was like, were we implanting that? <laughs> you know, like, mindful communication time, right? But there's a sense of something being lost, is it not? Like, oh, the retreat, wait, and there's a certain preciousness in that. It's like, oh, it, 
it won't be like this again. This is a unique moment in time. This is a unique constellation. Who's here? This dynamic, you know, that your neighbors, how we all come together and create this magical container. And then, and then tomorrow we all fly off to our own little nest, you know, having had this experience together. That's just something to think about, you know, as we grow on the path. And I was thinking about as you leave in the world, as we know, is so much is going on. It's really, uh, the word is kind of astonishing. <laughs> I was talking to, I had the really good fortune of talking to a very uh, popular spiritual teacher um, named Reverend Michael Beckwith a few days ago. He's a founder of Agape, a spiritual community in, based in Los Angeles, but worldwide. And um, we were talking and I was saying it's like a new civil rights movement. I don't know what to do, <laughs> you know, and he was reporting some things that had happened to him that were just really unfortunate. Um, and some of my other friends were too, just acts of hatred, you know, just witnessing or being targeted. And it was like, what? Who could target, you know, these people are just so precious. I was like, what? And I'm like, oh yeah, this too. Somehow this is our karma. This is the path. And so as we were talking, it was like, yes, what would it be like to go through another civil rights movement? I was like, I don't know how to do it. You know, or, you know, just thinking. So I started to really think about faith a lot. So I want to talk first about faith. And I want to first say that word is loaded and it's not the best word. That word has baggage, let's be honest. The word faith for a lot of people, they think of their Catholic school and like, oh no, 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 <laughs> please, no, you know, and forced into belief system. Do you have faith? You better have faith, you know, and religion is associated with that word. So, but I want to kind of um, free it from the baggage and kind of talk about it in a different way because it's a very important quality in the Buddhist tradition. And it's not associated in the ways that we think it is. It's like the word is often translated as confidence or conviction. And even those, I don't think, quite capture this kind of quality that I'm speaking about. But they they point to it. You know, language is limited in a lot of ways. And we're making up new words all the time, which I love. Some people don't like that. No, don't. No new language. Right, you are this, this is how it's been, you know, and I'm like, new words are great. We're making <laughs> definitions, you know. Younger people are like, words mean this, I'm a that, they it I love it. For me I'm not threatened by it, but it can be threatening when we're clinging, you know. But um so this word it needs a new word, but right now we can use the word sada, which is the Pali word for faith. Sada. And um this word sada is a key factor in the list of all wholesome states. So all that we've been practicing here, it is one of the uplifting enlightenment factors. It's one of the, the seven enlightenment factors. Together, it relates to sto- states of joy and energy. It, in the classical tradition, and you, have to, you don't have to remember this, but it's one of the five spiritual powers. There's a lot of lists in Buddhism. 
four normal truths, the seven, you know, seven this, the eight of that, the four, you know, but the five spiritual powers, which I'll give you the five, because some people will probably write a note later and go, where are the other ones, right? And I want to say it. So faith, vigor, vigor is kind of energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. And those are on all the lists over and over and over, you know, if you look very far. It's also, um, this quality sada is also a key uh, factor they call in, in, in stream entry. And stream entry is, um, they say, the, the beginning of the enlightened consciousness, where the mind enters into a pure stream. Right, it's like the first step in the stages of enlightenment. They say we get enlightened for many people in stages. We couldn't handle the full truth at once. Uh, my Tibetan teacher often used to say, "You would explode." The real truth. <laughs> so it was like a gentle, <laughs> you know, dissolving of our ego, basically. <laughs> um, and so this quality, faith, sada, is a factor in stream entry, and they say it's one of the four streams of merit. So when you have this quality, and I'll describe a little bit about that, when you have this quality, you mostly, you act, you do good acts in the world out of it. And um, I love that, um, that this tradition is not a tradition of blind faith. This is really a unique tradition. I think it, it appealed to me at a young age. There's a phrase, a word called ehipatiko, it means come see for yourself. And that's what the Buddha would say. Hey, Hipatiko, come see for yourself. Do not believe what I say. Do not believe what others are saying. Look at your own mind directly. See if this has some truth for you. If it's helpful, great. Not Many religions would not say that, right? Come see. If you don't like it, you can go. You know? <laughs> They're mostly like, this is the way you act, you know, like. You're gonna something bad's gonna happen if you don't believe it. You know, even worse. It's it's interesting in that way. So ehipatiko, so this isn't about blind faith or blindly believing something, but it's kind of this quality I was talking, because I've been talking to friends and activists about this quality, is something that sort of believes in the good. And when there's people who have a lot of faith, they're willing to endure a lot. They can go through a lot. You know, a lot of people don't have that kind of faith. And I think what happens is they can crumble when the difficulties come. And I think my grandmother, she really kind of um, depicted this kind of faith. And she attributed all of her goodness to Jesus. But she wasn't one of those um, kind of judgmental Christians at all. She was always really trying to be Christ-like. She was always serving and loving. But she went through so many difficulties. I mean, eight kids, a housekeeper, her husband ran off on her, no money. I mean, just, I don't even know how you, it was so bad. It was always just, oh my God, this is going on. And her kids would go in jail and this would go on. And then, and she'd be like, well, let's just keep on keeping on, you know? And I'd be like, how are you not dead right now? I don't know. Like, how do you just keep getting up and cooking for someone in the hospital or going here and just like, with this cheerfulness. And she'd be like, well, Jesus, you know, this is what, what, what you know, and just like, wow, you. <laughs> and she was like that, you know, until she died of Alzheimer's, you know. She was like that. She had this conviction that 
my life is good, what I'm doing. And, and it drove a kind of matriarchal power in that particular family constellation. You know, and people can provide that, I think, for others. It's like we have some faith in the good, the goodness, even though it seems like we're surrounded by darkness. It's like they carry this torch for others. Like, let's, yes, things are hard, but we keep walking. You know, and that, and that's something in that person is like, I won't give up no matter how long. I won't give up. I won't give up on myself. You know, I always wished I could have taught my grandmother Dharma because she would have gotten it. She would, it would have made sense because she, she was someone who had like common sense. Like, oh, really? This could, you know, it just didn't feel like the right thing to do to try to teach her something new. She had, it's like, oh, what she needs, she has. <laughs> like, this is the way it is. I get in line with that. I don't need to try to sway this. I just learned from this, you know. And uh, she, my parents did not have this kind of faith at all, you know. So this was a, this quality was really unique. So we come and we learn for ourselves. And um, in the Pali Canon, I found this great quote about faith, and it's using a lot of imagery in the early suttas. It uses a lot of imagery of farming farming or you know the the earth you know is a metaphor for many things that use farming so in the this quote it said faith is the seed practice the rain and wisdom is my yoke and plow modesty is the pole mine the strap and mindfulness is my plowshare and goad so it's like this whole, you know, we're, we're, we're driving in the soil of enlightened mind, right? And faith is the seed. You, you have to start there. You have to believe that there's, there's a direction to go in. Like, do, do I believe in where this could go? Or where am I trying to go? <laughs> you know, we have to, like, really figure that out. Where do, where do I want to go? Where am I driving this ship? Right? Where do I believe it's possible to for myself? So, um, and sometimes that faith, you know, it's difficult when everything seems like it's turning in the opposite direction of what we wanted, you know? Like, oh no, like I had faith when everything was great and now things have turned a little challenging. It's like, oh no, now what do we do? And it's like, well, you better generate more. Right? Like, oh, I didn't think I would have to work this hard. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, well, wake up. Right? And that's the thing. It's like, I don't want to be thrown out of the nest and work hard. Right? Secretly, we just kind of wanted to be comfortable. It's like, ah, nothing's comfortable anymore. I have to look around and notice things. And... That is a beautiful thing and a hard thing, and it evokes compassion. So that means we have to move in the world differently. We have to pay attention. We can't go to sleep, right? There's a part in us that wants to go to sleep so bad and just stay in that bed, covers over the head. No, life just passed me by. But it doesn't work like that. At least it won't work like that for long. Something pulls us out again. I'm in the middle of writing this poem called 
all the reasons why I'm getting out of this bed. <laughs> and I had another one tonight. It's the last night of a retreat, and you need to talk about faith. <laughs> I'm getting out of this bed <laughs> right now. So it's like, great, another one. Maybe this poem will go on for eternity as I find <laughs> more reasons. <laughs> But it's like reminding me to get up even if I'm tired or I'm going to cough or I'm sick or this is going on or that is going on. So I want to read um, something from uh, the Avantaka Sutra. And I was actually introduced to this uh, sutra by Thich Nhat Hanh. love this sutra. It's a Mahayana sutra, the Zen sutra. Um, and it was written by the great Bodhisattva Samantabhadra. So they say, a great awakened being, a Buddha, actually, they say, Samantabhadra proclaims. And I just really like this about faith. So Samantabhadra proclaims this. Faith is the basis of the path and the mother of virtues. Nourishing and growing all good ways cutting away the net of doubt, freeing from the torrent of passion, revealing the unsurpassed road of ultimate peace. When faith is undefiled, the mind is pure, obliterating pride. It is the root of reverence and the foremost wealth in the treasury of religion. Faith is generous. Faith can joyfully enter the Buddha's teachings. Faith can increase knowledge and virtue. Faith can ensure arrival at enlightenment. Faith can go beyond the pathways of demons and reveal the unsurpassed road of liberation. Faith is the unspoiled seed of virtue. Faith can grow the seed of enlightenment. Faith can increase supreme knowledge. Faith can reveal all Buddhas. Faith is most powerful, very difficult to have. It's like in all worlds having the wondrous, wish-fulfilling pearl. So I like to read this, and I love it. It says, faith is the basis of the path and the mother of the virtues. (laughs) So it's like, it starts like all these good qualities that we've been practicing. Faith is like the mother of them. So something drove you to this retreat, a faith in the heart, a faith in love, a faith in somehow I got to reset the button here. I can reset the button here. (laughs) You know, a belief in yourself. You got through all these days. This is not easy work. How many people felt at one point, I should just leave? (laughs) Yeah, like, (laughs) this is just like, I I can't deal with it. (laughs) I don't want to deal with it. I can deal with it. My mind, I don't, you know. And we stay sometimes from vain, vanity. Like, well, I rented my house. I told everybody if I show up on the second day back home, what are they going to think? I took the time off work. I don't have any, you know, I don't have a car here. Uh, you know, we have to kind of, <laughs> I'd have to get a new ticket, that'll cost this, and that, you know, so then sometimes we're like, oh, just, I'll just stay. <laughs> I'll stay to lunch and see how I feel. What's for lunch, anyway? You know? <laughs> but sometimes that's okay. You know? 
we stay for one of those reasons, but then there's something that keeps us beyond that. You know, we keep showing up for ourselves. We have to keep showing up for ourselves. What can we do? We can't go back to sleep. It's kind of a one-way door with a dharma. Uh, Chogyam Trumpa, he used to tell his students, don't get on the path. <laughs> he would tease them. You can't go back. Don't even get on. Everyone would go, I want to get on, I want to get on. Right? <laughs> he was like, I'm warning you right now, you can leave. <laughs> Right, Because there's something that it's like, oh, right, I can't go back. No matter how dark it gets or scary, I have to, there's an awareness that starts to kick in or we feel our heart differently. We have to make the right decision. <laughs> our ethics starts to carry us more. Right, We have to stand up. We have to say something that's happening wrong and we're in our, you know, and all these are aspects of faith. Like I, I have to be willing sometimes to put myself you know, on the firing line of something, just negativity, or I have to speak out. Faith kind of draws us out. It draws us into justice in a way, you know, when we can and when, we, when we're called. You know, it's also to have faith in the heart, too, you know, that my heart sort of knows way more than I know. I think I talked about that in the when I was talking about the meta, there's a part of me that my mind is very childish. It's not, it, it will make up excuses and rationales and cry about things that aren't important and get tangled up in dramas that are, <laughs> but my heart knows what to do if I listen to it. And it's like a GPS, you know, system in it, built in. But it has its own language. You know, the organization down here in San Jose, HeartMath. I love the work that they're doing. They're like cardiologists, neuroscientists. Like they're the smartest people in the world studying the heart. And they say it has its own brain. Right? And we can override it for a long time. But if you do that, what will happen is we slowly start to die. I think on some level. You know, you can die a spiritual death long before your body passes away. Something inside when we override it, when we're not listening, we're not hearing, and we're just pushing. You know how we can get. <laughs> we can set goals that don't seem to have real value, but we get fixated on them. We override something deep inside that knows, stop, this isn't working. And we're like, no, no, be quiet. <laughs> I want this. <laughs> I want this relationship. I'm going to make it work. Heart, don't get in the way, you know. <laughs> and then we just start steering right over the bridge off the... <laughs> and it's usually like, if I would... Uh, you know, but we have to learn, I think, how to listen. We don't know. We grow up overriding this. This is not something that we understand, compassion, the heart. This is not how we grew up in this culture. I remember I watched this really great interview with the Dalai Lama, and this interviewer asked him a question. If you could change one thing about the United States to make it totally different, what would you change? And I was like, wow, good question. <laughs> Without a hesitation, he said, your entire school system to teach empathy, to teach compassion, and to teach emotional intelligence at a very young age. That would change everything. 
So we don't grow up being like compassion, you know, fourth period, and where you really <laughs> dive into the wisdom of it and get it, right? It's just like, in do, you know, you just got to history. And Indian schools are trying not to demean them. There are so many new innovators and coming online and trying to teach mindfulness. And I love that at a young age. You know, there's a lot of, and you know, Vinny, Vinny used to work for mindful schools and go all over and they would teach heartfulness and kids really get it. You don't have to say a lot. It's like kindness. They're like, yeah, okay. You know, it's not a hard sell. It's logical to them at a young age. Right. You see that? You don't want to cause harm, right? Yeah. Yeah. They just emulate what's taught. They follow what the grown-ups are doing. They emulate that. emulate the media. They emulate everything. Which means there's hope for enlightened activity. We don't need everybody to wake up. We just need a small percentage. I find that inspiring and very (laughs) faith-producing. You know, in in Hakomi and in all these things in cells, you only need a certain amount of T-cells overcome the really sick cells. You know, you... You don't need all of the cells. You just need one part. And if this is a living web, just one part has to kind of start to get more well, right? More rooted, more heart-centered. And that can shift the tide. That can do it. I'm, I do have faith in this. So as we, as we grow in the spiritual path and we have this faith, the faith is what keeps us on the path. It keeps us coming back to retreats. It keeps us walking the road, you know, the good road. It keeps us on the good road <laughs> because sometimes it's not obvious the benefits right away. You know, it's like, oh, this retreat was so hard. Oh my gosh. Then you go home and you're like, wow, there's this lightness. <laughs> Things seem different now, right? <laughs> And it's really important to take it easy when you go home. It's like we're more tender than we know. We're in a very protected environment here, right? And sometimes we forget that our loved ones weren't on the retreat. (laughs) You know, like your partners, your coworkers. So you might be like slowly walking, might be happy, and everyone's all speedy and aggressive. and, And it can be frustrating, Right? Or you could get into being a, you know, kind of like a preacher about it. Like, you need to heal yourself and go in this meta retreat. <laughs> you know, sometimes people make like the honey do list. You go home and have all this great advice for your partner to do. And two hours of meta, honey, you'll be great and kale. And uh, <laughs> I really think you need to do all these great things. You know, you'll be so happy. It's not really that, that gets people excited. (laughs) I remember I used to go on these long retreats when I was young, and I I have like five younger brothers, and I would go over to their house after, and they'd be drinking beer and watching football and Taco Bell, and I'd be like, all this needs to go, you need to do all these things, and they'd be like, no, honey, we don't want to meditate right now. We're not going to turn it. And pretty soon I started to be like, oh, right, they just want me to be there. You know, somebody had that quote, my family hates me when I'm a Buddhist, but they love me when I'm a Buddha. Right? We don't have to beat over the head how we did all these practices and how open we are. We just live it. (laughs) 
you know, we just, we just, when people are curious about things, I don't ever tell my family to do anything anymore. And then they get curious, they're like, well, maybe we need to try stress reduction, you know. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be stressed out. Maybe spring's right, you know. I'm like, great, come if you like. I love you. If you want to watch football, I'll go over there for a little while, you know, and do what you, you know. Yeah, because I love them, you know. Love doesn't, it's not forcing me to force them to make change. You know, it's like, yeah, they are who they are. They're wild at times, you know. It's like, okay, this is wildness. I kind of note it. Like, okay, you know, it's it's not what I want all the time, but I expect it when I go to my brother's house. (laughs) You know, this is how it is. So we protect ourselves, and also we allow people to be as they are. That's an interesting dance. We allow people to be as they are, things as they are. Things don't threaten us because we're okay with who we are. <laughs> I'm not threatened. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you know. And also, um, faith brings a kind of magic to our lives. You know, on the spiritual path, you know, you can, there's a lot of magical things. Like we tune into another frequency. Love also has that aspect. You know, if you talk to someone like Ram Das, who's been around on the path of love, he's 85. I'm thinking about him a lot because there was a bunch of, he just had a retreat in Maui with a bunch of spirit rock teachers and people I knew were there. And, um, and there's this, all this magic in his life. Like you take up the, the path of the heart you sort of living in another frequency, <laughs> you know. It's almost like you're traveling. You know, people like to travel because they feel like a different person wherever they go. South America, they're this or that, or they go to Paris and they feel like this, and they're really open, right? When you're sort of practicing this love, you sort of your daily life becomes like you're traveling. Like, who am I going to see today? <laughs> right? What's going to happen now? And there's a kind of openness that creates um, a little more mystic, mystical, um, I don't know, experience. And I um, had the good fortune, like as I mentioned, I was, um, I did a retreat a few weeks ago where I went to Hawaii and I did a solo retreat there. And um I'm really lucky, and I've been having, you know, challenges with this feeling of, as I mentioned, being lost, and then, okay, this is normal, and, you know, just a really interesting feeling of that, so I was on the retreat, and um, I called my friend Alice Walker, and I'm really lucky that I can have a mentor who's been through everything. (laughs) I mean, she's 76 now, she's a Pulitzer Prize writer, wrote the book, The Color Purple, and an and activist. She's been arrested. She's been betrayed. I mean, you know, there's nothing this woman has not endured. I'm like, oh, my God, I have to call her. And uh, and I was talking about the civil rights movement. And I was like, maybe I'm just scared that I have to do more. I have to say more. I have to do, you know, I'm, I'm just holding it in my heart. I just want to... You know, what is, what is, how can I serve now? I don't, I'm not sure, you know, where I serve. And she's been a very long-term mentor and friend um, for me and um, also some of the other teachers here she's very close to. Um, And she started telling me about her experience doing voter registration in Mississippi. 
she said, oh, you know, you know, when we did voter registration in the 60s, and she was a part of the SNCC movement and registering voters, and she said, yeah, we thought we were going to die every day. <laughs> and, I was, and she started talking to me about it more, and um, they were in college. They were college students, and um, she, her husband was white. He was Jewish from New York. And it was even illegal in that time. So not only were they being targeted, here they were interracial couple out walking, registering voters with this group, right? And they said that the Ku Klux Klan had notes under their door. And I was like, Alice, how did you manage to keep the faith? And she said, oh, well, two things. One, we had these parties at night. And we would dance, and we danced hard. I mean, we danced and we ate because a lot of volunteers would bring them food because they'd be out in the sun, home after home. They had no money. Nobody had any money. You know, they were just walking, trying to get rides, going from farm to farm, house to house, like with all the voter information, knocking on doors, talking to families. And so, um, and they said we would eat and dance and eat and dance. And she said there was something that came on us during that time. It was a willingness to die for this cause. And none of us really talked about it. We just knew. Because, and there was a joy from the group because of the rightness of the work. They said we love these people. We were meet, we were just, no, it just wasn't, we were, that's it, house after house. And they stayed down there, you know, four months, the whole summer. And, you know, that's what they did seven days a week. And um, and she said, you know, Spring, you might have to generate that kind of courage right now. That might be your lot. That might be, you know, and I think that, that was so inspiring, you know, to, to meet someone who had done that and survived. And not only survive, thrives, actually. Thriving, beautiful spirit that is still going, still writing, still still living, still practicing. You know, a very strong practitioner. And she said, you know, the heart can do it. The heart can do it, Spring. <laughs> you know, that was her final words. She was like, you're going to be all right. Come back to Meta. Come back to remembering. And then the end of the day, none of us know how long we have here. Nothing is guaranteed. So do what you want to do. And that was also very inspiring. Like, you don't have to have a lot of fear. So faith, what faith does is it kind of destroys fear in a way. When someone has a lot of faith, they're willing to keep going in the spite of it. You know, fear is something that doesn't deter us. It's something we experience and we're willing to experience feeling it. Right, I've sat through a lot of fear on retreats in, in this hall, actually, over the years, and totally safe, just terror, you know. Has anyone had bouts of that here? Anxiety or fear at night? Like, you hear something outside, and it's like, I'm going to be annihilated any second, right? This is one of the safest places we could be, you know? And there's a way when we have faith, we overcome the fear with that, that quality of confidence, like, I can meet this moment, it was faith that will keep you practicing. It's that, that quality that will keep you it going. Like, I believe I'm getting better. Something's happening. I trust the Buddha, even though I don't know what the outcome is. Like, we also can have faith in our teachers, faith in the lineage, a living lineage. That gives me a lot of faith. Faith in the earth. 
You know, sometimes when I feel a little bit hopeless, I go out and put my hands on the earth. I'm like, the earth is old. <laughs> and she's old. She, and, you know, I remember the Buddha too, as you see on this um, Shakyamuni Buddha statue, the hand is down. It represents the, it's not fully on the ground, but it represents when the battle was being waged with Mara, the demon, for, you know, <laughs> freedom. The earth was, he touched the earth and let out a lion's roar. Like, I have the right, and the earth will bear witness. So we even can take faith in that, even though it feels like it's dissolving, even that. Still here. It's still growing. We can still plant trees. And that's what I decided to take on as a, you know, there's the... There's those that can get lost in the destruction or those that can get interested in the creation that's still here in the energy, right? Faith is optimism, friends. (laughs) Optimism feels a lot better, I'll tell you that, you know. No matter what happens, I will go out as an optimistic person, even if it's a fireball that I'm dissolving into or whatever is happening, you know. I will still be like, and this was how it's supposed to go. (laughs) Because it's happening, you know? All of us are going to die. We just don't know when. There's a funny story about that. I was with a teacher who really, this is a little off the topic, but, and then I'm going to stop because we're going to sing a couple of songs with Tija um, that I love a lot. The last, the funny story was... (laughs) I won't say who this teacher is because they're known. So I was at a I was at a meeting and um, this particular teacher who I, I love very much came in and they were holding their mouth like this during the meeting. I was like, "Okay, what what happened?" And they were like, "Oh my, my tooth got chipped this morning. I don't know what happened. I was just brushing my teeth and my my tooth fell out." <laughs> and I was like. Oh no, no! And I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go to the dentist. I'm gonna have to do all this fixing." And you know, for some reason, it was like a big deal. So I was like, "Okay, it's gonna be all right," you know. So a month later, we had these monthly meetings. This teacher came back again, and and they again were like this. And I was like, "Oh, what happened? Did the tooth not work out?" And he was like, "No, I fixed it. Another one broke." <laughs> And then, and then he looked at me and he said, you know what I discovered? I'm getting old and none of us are going to make it out of this alive. <laughs> and we both just kind of look like all of our teeth are going to break and our hair is going to fall out and everything's going to... And we just like gave each other a big hug like, and this is how it is, right? We'll have to experience that, right? And, um, and that teacher's not that old. He's like... Close to 70, so I guess that is. In Buddhist tradition, 70 is still really young, you know. Still is, you know. But anyway, I just wanted to share some of those thoughts about going home. And, it, you know, this is what will get us through. You've got to really look at your mind. As you go home, think about who you're surrounding yourself with. Your spiritual sangha becomes everything. When I was younger, I underestimated how important spiritual friends were. Now they're everything, you know? Why are they everything? Because sometimes you're going to fall down and that's who you call. And they're going to pick you back up and dust you off and go, stay on the path. 
And then you know what will happen? They'll fall down and you'll call them and you'll lift them up. And we go back and forth and we're helping each other remember. Be aware of your surroundings, right? Cultivate wise friends. Find some of the people here. If you connected with them, exchange numbers or friends and, and support each other in the meta practices, all your practices. Take refuge in Sangha. This is a jewel, a jewel beyond. That's why it is considered one of the three jewels. And it's really, really precious. So think about that as you go home. Also, a daily practice can be really sweet. We'll mention some of these things tomorrow. But um just want to, you know, say tonight, it's good to have a, a, a plan about what you're going to do going to your next retreat at some point. Map it out ahead. Our lives get so busy, right? Think about, think about just every day. It's just about that steadiness. It's just like one foot in front of the other, steady, steady, and our lives start to get, we move more as the center becomes the heart. Our focus becomes more about caring for other people. Oh yeah, I just want to read one last thing. This is from a book that I really like a lot. It's kind of a long reading, but I just want to read it. It's called. Um, it's by an author called Wayne Mueller. It's called How Then Shall We Live? Maybe some of you have read this book. Um, so there's many true stories in it, and this was one I really liked. It's called If I Had Ten More Years. Paul was dying of cancer. It became clear to him that it was time for him to prepare for death. About a week before Paul died, I visited him one morning. I found him sitting up propped against a mound of pillows. I sat on the edge of his bed. His bedroom had a beautiful porch with French doors that were always open to the summer sun and gentle breezes. Paul sat silent in the rays of the morning light. I feel ready to go, he said finally. There was quiet on his face, but sometimes he reflected, I just wish I had more time. Paul's voice carried so much sadness mingled with acceptance, melancholy softened with a gentle peace. In a moment like this, it is bittersweet. Some of our dreams have come true, some have not. There is a readiness to die accompanied by an equally passionate wish to live. In the light of his few remaining mornings, Paul was reviewing the wishes of a lifetime. I was so grateful to be near him. I've done so much work to prepare for this moment, he said. I came to Santa Fe to deepen my life, to learn more about spiritual practice. I've learned yoga, practiced meditation with some wonderful teachers, and I have been loved by many beautiful people. I'm not unhappy with my life. I know I'm clear and whole inside, and when I feel that, I'm not afraid. I know it's time. Again, it was quiet. His words mingled with the morning light and the cool air. But I also wish I could stay, he added slowly. A tentative wish offered against the growing impossibility of its coming true. I wish I had ten more years free of this illness. With those ten years, I could really live as I always wanted. We sat for some time in the wake of that wish. It vibrated in the air, 
this wish for life and enveloped two men who would both someday die. We each felt the truth of it from our own vantage point that morning. What would you do if you could give, if you could get those ten years? What would your life look like? I finally asked. Paul spoke easily and certainly. I would be kind. I would live my life with kindness, he said. I'd be kind to children. I would teach them to be kind too. This is all I ever really wanted to do, just to be kind, just to be loving. He was quiet for a moment. A few months ago when I was feeling strong, I thought I would treat myself, so I walked into a bakery and ordered two of my favorite cookies. I told the girl behind the counter that they were my favorite, and she said, I love them too, but they're really expensive. When I left, I thought about it for a minute, went back and bought another cookie and gave it to her. This one's for you, I said. She was so surprised by this simple kindness. You're such a kind man, she said. I felt wonderful. Such a small thing, such an easy thing. This is how I would live my life. If only I had more time. In the face of his death, Paul saw his life clearly. His death clarified his heart's desire to be a kind person. Everything else fell away, and he simply saw what was precious and valuable. To be kind, this was the most sacred thing, the most perfect and accurate offering he could make. So, ah, that's very sweet. I also have those thoughts. I just want to be kind. (laughs) So may we all have that and we practice it in our own way. So now we're going to let Tisha. I have a song that Tisha sings. I ask him to sing all the time. And you have to sing along too, right? It's a a sing-alonger. Both of them are. I mean, he's going to do two. (laughs) And then this evening, we'll kind of be in place of the chanting. Um, We'll kind of all just sing together. Um, there was a suggestion if anybody would like to be a practice leader in the morning, 6.30, Meta. <laughs> Don't all raise your head at one, hands at once. <laughs> Yay. Okay. That was great. Um, and the teachers may show up, but this one will be. So again, you can sing along. At any way, and Tisha's a professional. He used to be in a band. They used to sing. You still are. Oh, God, sorry. Yeah. He's still in a band. <laughs> I have seen him perform down in Fairfax. That's very sweet.
Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in. Bring them all in my heart. Bring them out of Perda. Bring them out of store. Bring them out of hiding. Lay them at my door. Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in. Bring them all into my heart. Bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in. Bring them all into my heart. Forgiven. And bring the unredeemed. Bring the lost, the nameless, and let them all be seen. why I like that song. <laughs> My favorite is Bring the Little Fishies and the Sharks. Bring the sharks. <laughs> then we were going to chant one last chant that we love. It's just kind of, you could say more about it, Tisha. Oh, well, it just so happens to be a meta chant. <laughs> Imagine that. So, um, in the metta chant, 
in this meta chant it's loka samasta sukhino bhavantu. May all beings be well, may all beings be happy. It's that simple. And uh, <laughs> it may be.
to all beings everywhere thinking of those in your you're going to be seeing tomorrow your children and partners your neighbors and co-workers sending kindness May my family be happy and peaceful. May just wishing well in your communities. May our communities be safe and protected. As we think about all beings in our lives, all those we know, far away and near, may you all be healthy and strong. And all the beings on this land, all of us, the staff, the cooks, the turkeys, <laughs> all those turkeys, be happy. <laughs> and the deer and the trees and these hills, just wrap us up little hills here may all of creation be happy peaceful all the crows say the lizards the birds may all those who are on the land today for Jack's day long be safe. <laughs> teachers council and all the teachers be peaceful, living with ease. And all beings everywhere, may all the women and our mothers and sisters and grandmothers be happy. May our brothers and fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers be happy, peaceful. May all the children on this planet be safe. 
protected, loved. Sending love to all beings everywhere. This is our prayer. All beings everywhere. Peace to all beings everywhere. Love to all beings everywhere. <laughs> Sending love to ourselves. Appreciating yourself for all that you've put into your retreat. Respecting yourself, loving yourself, honoring yourself. Blessing yourself. shelter. May I be kind to those who need kindness the most. And may all the goodness that has come from this retreat all these days, may we dedicated to the healing of all beings, to the healing of the planet, all beings everywhere.
And a big thank you to Tisha mm. Bell. <laughs> Thank you all so much.